it's a party in here. Yeah, so fun. Man, you guys can chatter. That is, a gr- that is, that is awesome. That is so great, so fun. So many great people in here. It's so fun saying hello to so many of you. Meeting some new friends too. Uh, like Jake said, I'm Pat. I'm a pastor down the road at Overlake. But let me just say this about Jake. So uh, seven years ago next month was when Jake, and I think some of you have witnessed this gifting that he has uh, uh, of applying some polite pressure and kind of recruiting and vision casting uh, over the course of like watching Seahawks games together and stuff. Uh, he was kind of working on me. And, and uh, my goal is to become the 1% and end up on Wall Street. And he was able to get me to uh, take a job over Lake Christian Church in student ministry seven years ago. And it was the best decision ever. And uh, Jake is such a good friend. Uh, so many golf dates together and lunches. Uh, one of the highlights that we get to have, that I, I should say I get to have, I shouldn't speak for you, uh, is uh, getting lunch together every month and just hearing, hearing what's happening here at Arbor. And, and it's just so cool. And what I think is most exciting for me, from my vantage point, from what I've gotten to see, is not what's happened as much as what's coming. As far as this vision and this DNA and kind of this languaging around these two really important words of, of missional living and what that can look like. And, and, oh, it just gets me so excited that there's a community uh, c- together going after that. And, and as Jake mentioned, I think what we're going to be unpacking today for the next 30 minutes roughly or so uh, really gets to a piece of that. I think it helps put some, some practical tools in your, your missional living tool belt, if you will, as far as things you can apply uh, uh, even as you leave here today. So, so that is a bit of my heart. But uh, my wife and I, who's over here in this kind of cool hat, I can barely see you, baby, it's so cute, yeah, with the peace sign, nice. Uh, uh, we have been a bit on this journey, this whole neighboring journey. And, and if you kind of need a working definition for that word, uh, the way I think of it is really just loving those who live near us. That is what I mean when I talk about neighboring, just getting to know and to love those who live near us. And I'd say over the last four and a half years or so, Leah and I have been uh, on this journey, and, and it started really, I'd say, actually eight years ago uh, when we bought a little condo in Juanita. Anybody ever been to Juanita Beach Park? Anybody? Yeah, where all the geese like to go and poop? Yep, that's it. Uh, we're, we're a couple blocks away from there, and, uh, and when we first bought there, it really was, the goal was investment. We were more concerned about property value and where the market was supposed to go, and man, has our hearts and minds gone over like a huge paradigm shift as to having such a heart for the people in that place, in that neighborhood. And, and so I actually want to share a few of these people with you. So I got a couple pictures to show you. Uh, here's some folks from the Juanita Parish, uh, the neighborhood there. On the left is Rob and Emma. We met them down at the park uh, probably four or five summers back now. Uh, our dogs got to know each other first as they were kind of were fetching after the same ball. And if you uh, are a dog owner in here, you know the first question you ask is always like, Hey, so what's your dog's name? You know, like we don't even start with people. It's so bad. But uh, uh, slowly got to know Rob and Emma, and they were dating at the time. Now they're married. They asked if I'd officiate their wedding, which was so special. Uh, There was a random Sunday where they kind of came in through the long, crazy hallway of Overlake, and it was so crazy to see them there. We didn't even invite them or anything. We didn't want to mess up this, like, cool relationship we had going. And 
And so now they've been coming to church. We're in the same little small group together, trying to live out this neighboring thing. So just sweet, awesome, cool couple uh, that are dear friends. And then on the, on the right there, that's not a cyborg. That's our neighbor. Just the lights hitting his glasses funky. Uh, his name is Carl. Carl's the man. We, we live next to an EMT, so we feel super safe at all times, at least when he's home, you know. Uh, but Carl is so cool. This is a really cool faith journey that he's on. He grew up in a Jewish household, and right now he just is open to any conversations as, as it relates to belief and faith and, and things of that nature. But Carl and I will hit hikes. We'll, uh, we'll go to the local pub, grab beer, chat it up. Uh, a couple other pictures here, other places in the parish. Down here on the bottom, we go and we play bingo with the coolest people in the hood at Juanita Gardens. That's right. And we're still working on trying to get a few guys to show up. So, uh, so it's just me and my wife and like nine ladies uh, every week, which is super fun. We were there yesterday, actually. It was fun just to uh, play some bingo and, and get to know them. Betty, to the left of me, um, I'm the one with the beard on the, on the right there. Uh, <laughs> Betty was in the hospital, sadly, a couple weeks ago, and we, we found that out. So we were able to go and visit her at Overlake, which was neat. Now she's, she's better. She played bingo with us yesterday, so she's on the mend. Uh, and then the taco truck. Best tacos on the east side, $1.50 right there. Uh, Alfredo, Mexican man, owns the truck, and his son, also named Alfredo, helps him. So always nice to see the Alfredos in the neighborhood. But so cool. I mean, these are people that we've slowly gotten to know, and these are just a few pictures, but uh, it, it comes down to this. It comes down to people. It comes down to people. And I think it's important to recognize this isn't something we just made up. This is something that we see fleshed out in the person of Jesus Christ. I love Eugene Peterson as he paraphrased scripture in the message. Let me read for you one of the verses out of, first, or out of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what Eugene Peterson writes as he paraphrases this portion of scripture. He says, the word, the word, capital W, that's Jesus. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And I'm glad that he did. And I'm glad he came with the posture that he did to love and to serve and to lay his life down for his neighbors. And I think he's expecting the same from us, a similar posture, especially when we hear really the two greatest commandments as he's asked about those in his ministry. And, and to remind you what they are, I'll just read from, from this portion of Mark chapter 12. Again, the two greatest commandments that he, he gives out. He sums up uh, something like 630 different laws, rules, commandments, and regulations, and he distills it down into these words. Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the big idea today, here's where we're going. If you don't remember anything else or if you happen to fall asleep, just make sure you get these words and you walk away with this big idea, and it's this. That we are called to love those who live near you. Each and every one of us. What I would say to you is love those who live near you. That is what we're being called to do. And the portion of scripture that I want to kind of pull some lessons from, four lessons in fact, is kind of hidden a little bit in the shadows of, uh, of Acts, which I understand you guys have kind of been walking through together, which is so cool to hear. 
And this little story, it doesn't get a lot of love. It's kind of wedged in between two pretty great narratives that get dominated a lot. You have the conversion of Saul. You have Peter and his dream on Simon uh, the Tanner's home and kind of this awesome inclusion of Gentiles into the faith. And tucked in there, in between those, kind of like a little sibling dominated by like two greater siblings that are all about sports and being popular and stuff, is little tiny Tabitha. So today, Tabitha gets her time. So we're going to bring her out into the limelight, and we're going to let Tabitha and these little eight verses teach us how we can go after, again, this call of neighboring, of loving those who live near us. So I'll kick it off. Here we go. It's in Acts chapter 9, by the way, if you, if you like to pull it up on your phone or, or uh, brought a good old uh, hard copy of the Bible. It's always great, too. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Not a typo. And I'm thinking she maybe liked to go by Tabitha. But anyways, <laughs> she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. So here's what we know about Tabitha. She's a lot like Mother Teresa, always helping and serving the poor. And sadly, she dies and is now kind of a waiting burial. So she's in this upstairs room. So that's where we're at. It goes on. It says, Lydda was near Joppa. So Lydda's a place. It's a nearby town. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, he sent two men to him and urged them, please come at once. So two men were sent out to go get Peter. By the way, previous to this, there's a couple tiny verses where Peter just healed a man that was paralyzed for eight years. So eight years, this man's not able to walk. Word spreads. Tabitha dies. Everyone's like, hey, great idea. Go get the Peter guy. He can do some great things, right? Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, Tabitha, had made while she was still with them. Here's another important piece to understand kind of the context as to what's going on. So you have Joppa, which is a coastal town, literally right on the coast, a little port city right on the Mediterranean there in Israel. And in fact, I actually got to go there this time about last year. I got to go to Joppa. I got got a couple pictures here. Went on a little bike ride through Joppa. We are not sure, but these could be the two bicycles the disciples used to get to Lydda. (laughs) They appear as if they're from antiquity. We're not positive, but but Joppa is beautiful. Again, right on the coast. And this is the neighborhood that Tabitha has called home her whole life. And her ministry of, again, making clothing for these women, these widows. We'll go on. It says, Peter sent them out of the room. So Peter shows up and kind of gets everyone out of this upstairs room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. Key, dead woman. She's not alive. She's been dead for a while now. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, that many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Peter shows up, gets to the upper room, clears it out, kneels down, prays. Woman comes to life. He kind of takes her down, presents her to the believers, especially the widows, which is important there, actually, and and presents her to them alive, and news spreads. And it says many people believed. 
And then there's that interesting verse it ends with, which is also key. We'll get to it later. But then Peter spends a little time couch surfing at Simon's house, it says, right there in Joppa. Simon the Tanner. So what are some lessons? Again, if we're looking at practical ways that this is teaching us in our neighboring, what are some things we can learn from it? And I'll start with Tabitha. Tabitha, here's the lesson we can learn from Tabitha. Tabitha teaches us the power of knowing our neighbors. What we can learn from Tabitha is that she teaches us the power of knowing our neighbors. All right, I'm curious. Anyone in here go by two different names? Like maybe your family calls you one name and at work you're called something else. Or you got a nickname you go by and no one would even really know your legal name. All right, a handful of us in here, handful of us. And I include myself because my legal name is Christopher. Everyone knows me by Pat or Patrick. Or Jake started calling me years back Patty, and now I'm really I'm known as Patty. So, uh, uh, so, but really, two different names there, Christopher, Patrick. It's a little interesting at times. A few years ago, Leo was at work chatting with some coworkers, and in kind of the, the beginning of the day, she was kind of talking about how excited she was for the weekend plans with Patrick and how she couldn't wait. Then come that afternoon, she's kind of gushing over this Christopher guy in her life, and and they couldn't believe this woman's, like, comfort level with a, a, a relationship with two different guys until they finally asked, you know, so does Patrick know about Christopher yet? Like, have you had that talk? Uh, but it's key. It's actually super key that Luke gives us the fact that she is known both by Tabitha and then the Greek form of her name, Dorcas. And it's really key because not only was she known in, within her faith community of other Jewish families, but she was affectionately also given a Greek name. She was known by her Gentile neighbors. And it's even more key to recognize the people that she had these vibrant relationships with. Uh, the, the women that she was caring for and making clothes for were widows. Widows at the time, if we understand kind of, the, again, the cultural context and, and, and the historical time, if you became a widow and you didn't have a relative that took you and welcomed you into their home, you were left to fend for yourself. You'd see widows begging. You would see widows becoming prostitutes just to get by, just selling their bodies to the pleasure of men just to get by. And in a coastal town like Joppa, it couldn't have been a good thing with so many men coming in and going out. And here are the people that Tabitha takes time and I guarantee you, not just to make clothes for and send them on their way, but to pause, to get to know what their name is. What's their story? How hard has this last week been? How, how is it that they ended up being a widow? How are their kids doing? How, all these different things. Tabitha takes time to learn and to, to, to meet the needs of them practically in the needs that they have with their clothing. And we only get one sentence we really don't get much on who Tabitha is, what she's been like, other than these words distilled down into not even a full sentence in verse 36. And Luke writes, he says that she was just always doing good and helping the poor. It makes me wonder, like if I got just a few words in the Bible to describe my legacy, what my life could be summed up into, how would it read? What was I always doing? I love that word always. She couldn't help, but you, you, you just had to notice how she treated others and, and, and widows and those in need, those on the margins, the vulnerable. And so what would be the, the verse used to describe our lives? And then to even go further, 
who then gathers upon our passing? It's so cool to see just a vibrancy of, of, of who collects to grieve Tabitha's loss. I would love for, 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 for those who gather for me, not just to be church folk, but to be people from my community, from Maple Ridge Condos, people I've met at the park, people from the gardens, people from all over the place that, again, kind of show an expression as to the love and the diversity of those who God loves. And I think there's just some practical things that we can do to kind of begin to move towards this end. And so what we put on every single chair, I'm going to ask you to find it, maybe, maybe steal your neighbors, or, or maybe it fell down, but it's going to be a little activity sheet that has uh, eight blank boxes surrounding one little house icon. And we're going to actually take a moment, I'm going to tell you what this is, and then we're going to try this. A couple years ago, a book came out called The Art of Neighboring. Someone actually, uh, was it Colleen? Was that your name? Yeah, she came and she actually has the book with her, which is so funny. Uh, so great. Uh, but uh, the authors came up with this exercise to help us in getting to know who lives near us. And so the way this works is that middle house kind of essentially is saying, that's where you live. Who are the eight people that live nearest you? And I know that context looks different for us. I'm, we're in like a, a, a condo complex. Some people, you, you got horses, you're out, you're, you're out uh, in Duval. Uh, some people, you're just in a cul-de-sac or whatever. But just think through, kind of in your mind, just kind of generically speaking, what are the eight nearest neighbors that you have? On line number one, you write their name. What's their name? Line number two is what's something you've learned about them, surface level, that you had to talk to them about. It can't be drives a red car. Like, that doesn't count. You don't have to talk to them and find out what they drive. But, but maybe, maybe you find out they have three kids and their ages. Maybe you find out how long they've been married or, or they're a program manager at Microsoft. But something about them, surface level. And then the third line is something that you've learned about this neighbor, ideally all eight of these neighbors, that they've had to uh, trust you with. Maybe, maybe a part of their story that, that they're maybe a little ashamed of or there's a little bit of wound or, or pain there. Maybe, maybe they went through a tough divorce five years back. Maybe they're having some problems with one of their children. Uh, uh, it could be any number of things. It could be more on the positive side. Maybe, maybe they've entrusted you with a hope or a dream that they have that they hope to accomplish. That, that takes trust too. But, but three different things. And what we're actually going to do, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. So grab the pen in front of you. Uh, in front of you but I want everyone to try this, and we'll see how well we do. But eight neighbors nearest you, Name something surface level, something that they had to trust you with, and we'll see how we do. 90 seconds. On your mark, get set, go.
Let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, would you be mine, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbor. I'm glad we're together again. All right, neighbors. All right. I'm curious. I want to see hands raised. If you know the name, the name of one or more of your neighbors, proudly raise your hand in church. Come on. Woo! Yes. All right. Keep them raised if you have two or more. Two or more. All right. Three or more. Three or more, all right, four more, we're hitting holy territory, come on, look at these people. Four more, five or more, these are the social butterflies in your neighborhoods that we all avoid, all right. Six or more, six or more boxes, just the name, just the name. All right, seven or more, the stalkers are raising their hands. Eight or more, all eight, I guess it wouldn't be eight or more. Eight, look at these folks, let me give it up, that's awesome, that's so cool. So statistically speaking, only about 10% of people, and I'd say that was roughly maybe true here, I'd say even maybe more than 10% in this room, uh, uh, actually only know the names of their eight nearest neighbors. Only 10, 10%. Less than 3% would be able to fill out lines number one and two for each of the eight boxes. So awesome for those of you that maybe got to even that point. Uh, and then all three lines, so something of the name, the surface level, and then a level of trust in that relationship experience is less than 1%. Less than 1%. And I bet many of us in this room would be able, in our minds, maybe to go back even to your childhood, maybe not even all that long ago, depending on the context you grew up in, that would be astonishing to think about. I know the neighborhood I grew up in, we probably, my mom could have filled this out easily. And you go back even farther, and the, the vibrancy of connectedness in our neighborhoods is, was, is, is, I mean, now it's so fractured, right? So much isolation happening. And, and so we have our work cut out for us, essentially, to say. And this exercise is something you can use. Maybe, maybe your goal would be to take this home, and by the end of summer, when people actually come out for those three short weeks of, like, you know, trying to get some vitamin D and taking a little breather from Netflix, you know, like, maybe you actually get to meet some of these people and have some conversations, see if you can fill out this sheet. But we got to be willing to take a slow and a long-term approach. My wife and I would not be able to still complete this, and I feel like we've been pretty intentional with it. There's some people that are nearest us that just are so hard to get to that next level with. And so it's going to be the slow road. Last year, I remember there just being a moment that stuck in my mind. I was taking uh, the tour at the Starbucks Reserve Roastery on Pike, and it's like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory of coffee. It's amazing, so fun. Uh, but did the little tour there, and I remember learning from the coffee master. That was what he was called. It was so cool. I was like, ooh, disciple me, young man. You know, but uh, uh, he showed us, or he, to he told us that coffee plants, which we have a little picture of, Oh, how cute is that little plant, you know? Uh, little Arbor Church. You guys get so excited about, like, living organisms. Like, uh, so there you go. Brought it for you guys. Uh, five years. It takes five years from the minute that you plant a coffee seed 
to it actually yielding a harvest. And I think, what, at least what I've experienced, it maybe takes about that long to actually get to know those who live around us. But let's be willing to take that slow and that long-term approach of the, the small and short conversations that can add up over time. Next lesson I want to give you. These next three will go pretty fast. The first one is Peter shows us the importance of being spirit-led. So Tabitha taught us about neighboring, knowing our neighbors. Peter, he expresses, he kind of gives us an example of what it looks like to be spirit-led. And I think that's important as we go after this. And so let me read for you these verses to remind you of the amazing, crazy thing that happened. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. That is just crazy. Think about that. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. I know some of you maybe are thinking like, oh, you're saying spirit-led, but I don't see the word spirit in there at all. And I'd say, you're right. And a dead woman came to life. Like, the spirit is all up in that place. Like, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is present in that room at that time. A dead woman is dead and then comes to life. Peter took a bold risk. Maybe that's why he emptied the room first, right? Hey, let's get all you guys out. I'm going to see if maybe I can try something, you know. And what's cool is if you read Mark chapter 5, he actually just does what he sees Jesus do with a 12-year-old girl, if you remember that story. Jesus does the exact same thing. And what's crazy, what Jesus says, there's only a one-letter difference between what Jesus says and what Peter says. Jesus says, Talitha, which is little girl or daughter, rise. Peter ends up saying just Tabitha, her name, rise. Same thing happens, dead to life. Peter took a bold risk. What if we took a little more risk? And what if we actually, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging us to get hyper-spiritual here, but what if we recognize the Spirit maybe is prompting us more than we, more than we realize, more than we, we, we would give account to? I have a friend, and again, he's not hyper-spiritual, but when a name or a face comes to his mind, he essentially takes it as a cue to go ahead and actually then text that person and just simply say, hey, you just came to mind. Any way I can be praying for you, anything going on I could help with, anything that I should be celebrating with you, right? Maybe it's a good thing. Every time he's done that for me, it's amazing the coincidence. And it, it's not coincidence. It, I, I absolutely believe it's spirit-directed. What if we recognize that's something we could all do? And there's things happening in our neighborhoods that I think only the Spirit would be able to download to us that we would maybe have to be so bold and to respond to. And I'll give you an example. And this is, when this happened, this really, I think, began to change a part of how, in a way in which I began to pray over our neighborhood and over how, how I would hope the Spirit would speak to me. But last summer, last summer, we learned that one of our neighbors, who lives just two buildings down from us, not, not even 100 yards away, uh, elderly woman who lives by herself. She lives in the uh, same, same size condo as us, so less than 900 square feet, not huge. She didn't have a cell phone. She had a landline. And what happened, she fell down in her bedroom at one end of her condo. The landline's at the, at the other end, not far away. But if you're elderly and you just fell and you have to struggle to get there, it could take some time. And this poor woman, over the course of about three days, inched her way along to get to that landline just to call 911. 
First responders had to come, knock the door down, get her to the hospital. That woman never fully recovered and ended up losing her life within just a couple weeks. Just a couple weeks. I was less than 100 yards away. I was probably grilling burgers at the time or watching the Mariners or any number of things. And man, I wish I had known, right? So now I find myself just praying like, God, if there is something happening where you want to use me to potentially intervene or knock on a door or, or whatever, I'll do it. Because again, that's just an expression of how broken and how serious this actually is. People are literally losing their lives because of just how isolated and fractured society has become. And we can change that. And getting to know our neighbors is key. But I would also say being spirit-led is also key. Another important thing that is in this passage, it actually happens more than just with the story of Tabitha. You see it throughout Scripture. It happened in John 4 with uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. It happens again with, with Peter in Acts chapter 1 uh, uh, as he's entering into the temple. But, but you see the power of one, as, as my mentor calls it, the power of one. Where when you see one life so powerfully uh, uh, transformed or impacted, it just has this crazy cascading effect out into the masses. And I'll read, read for you this verse. This is what I'm talking about. Verse 42 says, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Sometimes we get so focused on the masses that we forget, man, Maybe there's just one person, one instance, one thing that happens in the life of one person, and somehow it goes crazy viral in a way that no other strategy could work. And I would layer upon that, that idea of the power of one with this other, this other thing that we see happen again throughout Scripture over and over again. It's a theme. But if you want to reach the masses, you go after the margins. Tabitha, she had a heart for the vulnerable, for the widows, for those on the margins, the prostitutes. And look at what ends up happening. It goes to the masses. And so don't be surprised if the Spirit begins to lead you maybe to just one person. And I really wouldn't be surprised if that one person is somehow a vulnerable person in your community. Someone that, again, would be probably on the margins of society. Third, third lesson that we can learn comes our boy Simon. Simon challenges us to exercise hospitality. Hospitality. I'll read for you the final verse that was in our passage. It says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. We have our first biblical reference of Airbnb right there, right there in the, in the scriptures. I got to go again to Joppa, and they, there's this little house. I don't really know if it's Simon's house. It looks like Ottoman Empire type architecture to me, but whatever. I took a picture, right? Like, had to. But Simon the Tanner, what's crazy? So Simon ends up getting a footnote essentially in Scripture as someone that showcased some hospitality. And I have a professor, I have a, theo a theology professor that says it's in this verse. You see the whole book of Acts pivot. You see the whole thing pivot. Because what comes next is a radical inclusion of the Gentiles into the Christian faith. And what's crazy, when you understand that Peter was a good Jewish boy, right? Totally ate kosher, wouldn't do anything that would render him unclean, wouldn't want to touch anything dead. What's Simon do? He's surrounded by dead animal carcasses and skins hung up everywhere. Simon is, is always unclean. 
And yet it's in this context, and I think it's because of this context that the weight of that dream that Peter gets after this passage, we don't have time to read it, but if you look at it, it ends up speaking to God's, again, full inclusion of what he thought, what Peter thought, and Jewish people thought were unclean. God's saying, no, 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 no. Those are, those are my sons and my daughters. You've got to share this good news with them, too. And so I think there's something that happens, not just for those that play host, but those who are in our homes. And I think, and what I've seen and I've experienced myself, when you are kind of invited into someone else's hospitality, you kind of are a little more open with them. There's an element of maybe dropping your defenses some. And I think, I think there's something bold in just inviting your neighbors over to break bread with you, to have, have a meal, to just spend some time with you. It, it, maybe it just means moving from all your activities in the backyard and bringing out some of that just to the front yard and just sharing a little bit more life together. A few random ideas I'll drop on you, and if these are helpful, great. If not, just let them, let them fall. But, but the way we think of it is just almost in quarters of the year. What are things you could do roughly each quarter of the year? The exercises kind of flexes these hospitality muscles. In the beginning of the year, great opportunity, regardless who's in the Super Bowl, invite people over. It's, it's awesome if it's the Seahawks. It's even better if they win because that really stunk, you know, a couple years ago. But uh, it's, and who cares if the Patriots are in it? It's a little bummer they won, but, you know, you can move on. But a, a great way to invite people over into your home, into your space. They're going to watch the game anyways. Like, oh, why don't we just watch it together? Maybe around Easter time, maybe you just throw together some little organic, and, and, and maybe it's lame looking, who cares, but you just invite some, some of the neighborhood families over for just an Easter egg hunt in the front yard or local park or whatever. Uh, uh, maybe in the summertime. Again, we get a couple weeks of it, so you got to use it, and, and today's one of them, so get back out there, you know. Throw a summer block party. Have fun. Close down the street. What's crazy, some of the cities, Bellevue especially, Bellevue has all the money, so if you're in Bellevue, way to go. But uh, they will pay you. They will pay you to close the street and have a, a, a block party. The, the government has seen, again, the stress upon the infrastructures of society because of how we've been living our lives. So independent from one another. So, so privatized from one another. And yet we need to break that. And a summer block party is a great place to start. I'd say once we started doing summer block parties in our little community, filling out that sheet became a whole, a whole lot easier. And so this could be just something you do, and just try and be okay with it being super lame at first. Ours is incredibly lame. That's why there's no pictures, right? <laughs> but a summer block party, maybe in the wintertime, you find something that, the, that happens in the community, and you just invite neighbors, hey, let's go to this together, right? We, uh, by, by our home as the Christmas ships come into the bay there, we just, hey, we're going to go down to the Christmas ships, let's just watch it together. And then let's go get hot chocolate on the way home at Starbucks or something. But there's all kinds of ideas, all kinds of ways that, again, I think we can flex these muscles, exercise some hospitality, and lean into this. But it's a powerful lesson that we can learn from our boy Simon. The last lesson is this, and this is key. And we learn it from Joppa. Not a person, but a place. Joppa reminds us that our neighborhoods matter. There's names all over the Bible. We know that people matter. There's also places mentioned everywhere throughout Scripture. Places matter to our God. The neighborhood you have, maybe it's just that's what you have to write down for this to really take kind of root in your mind. That Joppa reminds us that Juanita matters, or Cottage Lake matters, or downtown Bothell matters, or wherever it is that you live matters. 
Again, that is why Jesus came in flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He, this whole big idea of loving those who live near us, Jesus, Jesus fully embodies this for us. There is no greater example. And then he is incredibly brilliant that his strategy for this good m- news to move forward essentially boils down to telling people, hey, really easy. You guys can make this complicated. You can come up with a curriculum. You can do all kinds of stuff that you want to do. But at the end of the day, tell you what, how about you love your neighbors the way that you love yourself? Just start there. Jesus had 12. Really, he actually had 11. Judas really hosed him. But 11 people. 11 people got behind this, granted, in a cultural context where people were a lot more connected. No wonder why the gospel went everywhere and that fast. But nonetheless, we got to return back to the strategy we've been given. This is the lifeblood of who we are historically. Christians were known for their hospitality. Christians were known for knowing their neighbors, serving their neighbors, loving their neighbors, reaching those on the margin. Christians should be known for being spirit-led, for being up to something that no, no, no reason you should have known that apart from God speaking it to you. So I think there's all kinds of lessons, again, in these eight verses. And this one on Joppa is key. But again, just to remind you, this big idea we're going after is just simply to love those who live near you. And maybe it, it's just great to start with the, the eight closest. The verse that came to mind as I was ending first service is John 20, 21. And I love that Jesus, in his kind of resurrected state at this point, he had been crucified, conquered the grave, he's now with his disciples. He says, now as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Where is he sending us? But to our neighborhoods. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to take that commission lightly that you are sending us just as you sent your son, Jesus. And so I pray even now, would there just be a burdening of our hearts and minds around this idea of what does it look like to to get to know our neighbors, to, to, to be open to your spirit leading us and prompting us and responding to those things, and, and then to open up and to share the things we have. To share the, the places that we live, the, the food in our pantries, the, the empty rooms in our home, an unused car, any number of things that you have gifted to us that we are simply stewards of, would we, would we be so willing and ready to, to see how you would use those things in our neighborhoods? And even just to think, I mean, there's dozens of neighborhoods represented just in this room. Would you be up to something great? And not just... Not just a year from now, but would it begin now? Would that slow and continuous work begin now? And Lord, would you just help us? Help us to live into this, to try these things. We love and we praise you and we thank you that we get to do this together in the context of community, that we are not alone and that you are with us. Your name, amen. Amen. There's one other exercise that you can try. Today is a, a great day. And it's simply the one on the back side of that uh, half sheet there. It's just a listening exercise, pretty self-explanatory. It's great to do as a family. It just gets you out in your neighborhood. Again, trying to listen, become more aware as to the places that we live. 
And then I also want to mention that card that Jake uh, mentioned earlier, that connection card. And just the purpose, again, behind that is uh, it allows the, the leadership and the servants here at Arbor to care well for you. And so if there's a way we can be praying, please jot that down. If there's a way you can be served or cared for, please jot that down. And then uh, also let us know the best way to contact you uh, as needed. Email, address, uh, phone number, things like that. And so as the buckets come by, again, cards go in the buckets, love that. And then also any gifts, ties, or offering, anything that you generous heart uh, to give to, to, to the mission here at Arbor Church. And so ushers, you can go ahead, come forward, receive the cards and the offering, and let's continue to worship.